just God has been lining up and dripping and dripping and dripping just such amazing vision for this church that we are so excited for what God has for us. He's kind of given us this structure and I believe that he's going to breathe uh, on as we move along in this. And I believe even as we as a group of people begin to stand together and uh, learning our, our giftings and collaborating together, we're going to see this really come forth because it's not just one person it's not just mine and Rachel's or the leadership team's vision. This is a, a, a vision that every single one of us takes a part in coming together to see it fulfilled. Amen. And uh, so just to uh, let you know, so the vision statement for the church uh, set back uh, in the 90s, I got it updated from uh, Pastor Wendy this morning, equipping a prophetic people um, to impact the nations. That was the, uh, the vision statement for a long time within this church. And so for us, um, we really feel that there, that was a stepping stone for something that God wants to do even more. And I just love that even in the seven years I've been here, God has been working in the backgrounds like crazy. Like he's been shifting our belief systems, shifting networks, doing amazing things, setting foundation. Like if I could tell, sit down with each and every one of you and tell you all the little things that God has set up for this moment, me just included in who I am, how he has shaped me, matured me, grown me for this situation and, and position is just phenomenal. He is such a good God. And so even as we were collaborating together as a leadership team for this vision statement, which reads, a transforming people who transform their worlds. And uh, we're going to be going through the five values that really tie in and make this up. But just to pause in what this means, we are all transforming people, amen? Whether you come to Jesus or whether you've been on the journey for a really, really long time, we are always being transformed. We are always being renewed. We are always coming to who God has called each and every one of us to. But that has to do something. And almost in the same vein of what the vision was before, that they were prophetic people, equipping a prophetic people to impact the nations, is the same formula, I believe, transforming people that whom transform their worlds. We are being transformed on a daily basis for a purpose, for a reason. And so I'm excited that each and every one of you, we're still an equipping church. We're equipping each and every, each other to be able to go into our worlds to see his kingdom come, his will be done, to see the renewal of all things. And I mean all things renewing of all things. And so our five values that we have, so that's the vision statement. We're going to be unpacking that over the time, but these are the five values that we really have held to as a church going forward, that we are a spirit-led church. In case you didn't notice this morning, we are a spirit-led church. We have plans. We, we have a sheet every single Sunday. Here is proof that we do have a structure. We're not just winging everything. We do have a structure, but Holy Spirit likes to come in and uh, not wreck, but transform, reconstruct some things um, in it. So we are spirit-led. We believe in transformation, discipleship, to become a follower of Jesus, to be an apprentice of Jesus. We want to work together in that. And we believe in authenticity. This church sniffs out people who are inauthentic. 
People who try to be fake and try to just live the Christian life. You don't last very long in this church. You don't feel very comfortable because we get real in this church. We're all broken people, right? We all know it. We're not hiding it. We're like, yeah, we've got our stuff. But God wants us to know that we are each creatively designed, that you have a unique purpose, that you, as you discover yourself, you discover more of who God is. And so it's that twofold of identity and be authentic and be transformed in it. Collaboration. Um, We want to see us more and more move together as one. We are better together is one of our sayings in this church. We are better together than apart. I love that as we minister together, as Joe even stepped out this morning and said, hey, come to the front. It wasn't a leadership decision. It was just like, I feel the Holy Spirit doing this. We're going to move and do this. And so we collaborated together, praying for one another. We saw a miracle. It's just the body praying for one another. A breakthrough happened. It wasn't some guest speaker, healing evangelist kind of guy. It was just two people who loved Jesus a lot coming together just to lay hands, collaborating with the Spirit to see God move. Each and every one of you has the same power that conquered the grave and lives inside of you. And I want to empower you today that you are powerful beyond your belief, that you are a son and daughter of the Most High. And so collaborating together brings out the best in us. And outward focus is a value. And we're actually not going to touch on it this, because we believe all of next year, we're going to start really heavily focusing on the idea of an outward focus. So we're going to talk about the four and leave the fifth for next year, because that's going to be a driving force for this church. Because if I'm honest, and if we're honest, we haven't been a very outward focused church, but God is actually wanting to shift some gears. As we spoke about the prophetic word that we received from 2002, that God was going to turn on the turbines and start to awaken people, that people start to awaken to the evangelistic nature of whatever that looks like of an outward-focused church that is not just inward-focused, what can I get, but what can I give. And so today, we want to talk about the number one value um, which uh, sets everything in motion, a spirit-led church. And so just a reminder, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's a person. He is our helper. He is a comforter. He's a teacher. He convicts. And he is the down payment proof of our salvation. He is the proof of our salvation of what can come. He is just an amazing, amazing person. And so for you and like me in this moment in history, and I'm sure for many four, but it just feels more intense, chaos seems to be reigning in the world. Like the media is trying even harder with the political system. Every single system is being shaken that can be shaken. And so Many of us feel anxieties, this unwavering kind of murmuring in the background that we feel this anxiety that we have to wrestle with every single day. And we're not sure what tomorrow's going to hold. And we're not sure what everything's looking like. It's not like God said, hey, I've given you a plan of the next thousands of years or however long till I've come back. Although people like to read Revelation that way. They like to try and work out, hey, God's going to do this. I'm pretty sure the newspapers, and they start aligning up scripture. The fact is, is that we are in a relationship with God. And so to be spirit led is a head up mentality. It's to be guided. It's the Son of God who said, I only do what I see the Father 
doing, present tense, not what he's about to do or it's doing it in this present moment. It's an uphead. It's not like a downhead moment where we have a map and we have a guide and we're just walking along like this, step, step, step. No, every single step is a step of walking in trust, in faith, of not knowing but we know that the Holy Spirit's good. He's a helper, he's a comforter, and he will help us. I love this quote by John Wimber. It's neat and tidy in the graveyard. It's alive and messy in the nursery. I'll say that again. It's neat and tidy in the graveyard. It's alive and messy in the nursery. And for those of you who have young kids like we do, that is a daily occurrence. Our house is in a constant state of chaos. Um, We kind of just try to keep upside downstairs, like an area clean that we can kind of rest in. While the rest of when we clean that space, we move on to the next space, it's messed up again. But that's where new life, new life is messy. And so this church will get messy. So we get to enjoy that, but we have a helper. And so just to give you a definition of what we believe spirit-led means for our church is this, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit who guides and empowers our lives. So to walk in step with the Holy Spirit who guides and empowers our lives. Three simple words I really felt from this, position, posture, and power. Position, posture, and power. And so we're going to look at these three and how they mean for us and how we can be spirit-led believers of Christ. What that looks like for us to position ourselves, to have the correct posture, and to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so just before we get into this, we're just going to quickly pray. Father, I thank you for this word today. But Lord, I know it's not my strength but it is in your strength that I speak. And so, Lord, would you even help me right now to communicate this message, to encourage your people. Lord, help us open our eyes, ears, hearts, and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. We're so thankful that you're here, that you've already shown your manifestation through a healing. We celebrate that, Lord God. But Lord, as we move on, would you help this become clear? Would you even tattoo this on our hearts this morning, Lord God? It would be permanent that we wouldn't be able to move without understanding our position, our posture, and our power in you, Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. In verse 16, we're going to kick off here. And so Paul writes this to the Galatian church, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. And in this section of his letter titled, Keep in Step with the Spirit, he even finishes his marks the same in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This walk and in step. The Amplified has a really cool version of that walk uh, habitly in the Holy Spirit. So every single day, make it your habit to walk in the Spirit. But if I can have my lovely wife up here for a demonstration, because I feel like she's probably most like the Holy Spirit in my life. Um, someone that is rubbing me the wrong way. Um, that I, you know, I want to go my way, um, but I don't always get to. But she's so wise. 
Um, brownie points right now, right? Um, she's so amazing. Um, and so, but as we walk with her, if we can imagine that Rachel is the Holy Spirit, she's not very hard. And so we walk along. Oftentimes, there are a couple of different scenarios that happen. Now, as she's walking along, often I see something shiny up there. You've told me that I can have that, God. Just a second. Let me just walk over here. It's really good. I like it. I come back to you again. But actually over here, wow, this, I've always wanted this. Can I have it now? Can I have it now? But you're going in that direction. And I feel like a lot of times as Christians, we're always kind of walking around, walking back to the Holy Spirit and coming back again and again and again. Because I'm as a walker, and me and Rachel, this is a perfect posture because it's me. If you're going to walk with me, you better walk at this speed. You've got to walk at some long legs. And she's always said to me, I've learned to walk a lot quicker with you. And I'm just, because I'm so purpose-driven, because I always want to get ahead of the game. I always want to get to the place right here, right now, on my time frame. But this is so slow. <laughs> to walk with the Holy Spirit. It sounds so nice and lovely, but when we're talking about next day delivery, when I'm talking about microwave culture, where I can just download the video message, I want to get here now. But yet we always have to go back to here. And so I find that is one of our parts that we just have to run with all the time. And there's so many other analogies that we could throw with that. So much that we carry. So much that we try and juggle as we're walking along. Almost our vision is completely skewed of where the Holy Spirit is in our lives as we're walking back and forth because we've got so much stuff. Because if we're honest that we believe that the Holy Spirit is not enough, and so we kind of carry our baggage along with us, vision hindered, because well, just in case, Holy Spirit, I've got my stuff with me. Just in case you uh, aren't enough for me, don't worry, I've got my stuff with me. But we don't even know where the Holy Spirit's gone. Because we're so focused on the stuff that is right in front of us. And so it's so hard for us to position ourselves. We know that there is this present tense. Walk is such a great word that Paul used there. It's this present tense moment that it's a continuation of being present, not being future orientated or past orientated, but right here, right now, walking. This slowness that it brings to your whole being as you walk through. And it's ongoing. It's not like it ever stops. So often, even as we walk with the Holy Spirit, let's be honest, we're walking along, but we just stop. We either give up or something happened in our life and we just stop and we're just saying, you know what, I don't want to position myself walking with you. You just, you just keep on going. This is too hard. It feels like I'm walking up a 90 degree angle of a mountain and I just want to stop right now. But the Holy Spirit keeps on walking. It's an amazing thing, a constant, constant Walking, not at a fast pace, but at something very slow. But the Holy Spirit has somewhere to go. There is a destination. And he's not walking aimlessly. He has purpose in his walk. But it is slow and it is constant. And to our society, that's not always easy. Because if we're honest, again, yeah, we want the fast pace. But we love the ebbs and flow. We love the excitement of something new. Like even now in this church, we've had a change of leadership. And there's an excitement, let's be honest. But that's going to fade. There's going to be an ebb and flow. We'll have our lows and highs. But Holy Spirit's saying, can you be constant with me in 
you're walking. Not interested in the, the high highs or the low lows, but he's just the constant, constant, constant. And so if we position ourselves as people who walk alongside the Spirit, may we be a church that is constant, constant, constant. No matter the highs and lows, but the Holy Spirit is always wanting to draw us near to Him. And so often, even as you said, why does my position always fall out of sync? Why does it always fall apart? You know, we're always coming back. Every single day I feel like, I'm like, man, Holy Spirit, I've just lost you right now. Can I just come back to you? And so it comes to our second point, the posture. The posture. And so in verse 18, it says of Galatians 5.18, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. You are not under law. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not on the law. And so often, even as Christians, we believe that we're driven by the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit is kind of like dragging us, kicking and screaming into places and seasons. And it's interesting that it says that it's not under law. This is a, a stance that the gentleman of the Holy Spirit is a guide who leads almost with like a flashlight Come along with me. Come along with me. It's no longer law that you follow him of the must-haves, must-dos anymore, but it is actually someone that wants to guide you. But so often we think the Holy Spirit is someone who forces us or he's driving us to somewhere when the language is very clear that he says, you are led by the Spirit. And you're not under law anymore. But I hear a lot of Christians use this phrase. And Paul's about to do the other side. So, so often we feel like we're either driven by the Holy Spirit or we get to govern the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain what I mean by this. When you hear a, a Christian quote this phrase, well, we're not under law anymore. A lot of times people are trying to justify their actions. Like kind of the new covenant, new grace. We're not under law anymore, Johnny. I don't need to, you know, God lets me do these things now. He lets me walk these ways. He's, he's my buddy. You know, he's just someone that comes alongside me. He's my best friend. He's just going to guide me to wherever I want to go, wherever dreams that I want, wherever big house, big car, you know, fame that he wants. He wants the best for me. So me and my buddy, we're just going to guide along. And so often this mentality is, well, Johnny, we're not under law. I want to tell you that the reason why you're not under law is because the law is inside of you now. The Holy Spirit, the law is not done away. It is fulfilled, but it is within you now. And so often we move from legalism. So for many of you who have been brought up with legalism, swing pendulum over to license. And so we feel like we're licensed to do whatever we want. And we need to find that middle ground of understanding that we are licensed to do things, but understand we are not held by law. It is through relationship. You are not under law. The law is with inside each and every one of us. So be careful not to move from legalism to license. And Paul begins to unearth the licensed mentality of the people who think, well, I'm not under law anymore. And in verse 19, he goes, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these, I warn you, the list goes on. 
And he compares it with the fruits of the Spirit, which we all know well. Isn't it interesting that there isn't like a comparison for each one? Like for sexual morality, you know, you have an answer of pure love. There is a complete outweighing of his list. There are 15 in that list and he could keep on going for the brokenness of the state of who we are. There is a fleshly desire that you are battling. Now, a lot of times we are testified to the enemy, to the devil, but I think you are by far your worst enemy. I think actually the flesh that you have to overcome through the works of the Spirit is far more devastating for our Christian lives because we don't even realize how devastating it is. If you look at the categories that he's looking at, sexual sins, which is a destroying of the temple, destruction of identity, the unlawful spiritual dealings, violations of brotherly love and excess gluttony, all these shouts, self-led. That's the biggest danger that we face in our modern society, self-led. And especially, I think, in America, it's one of the struggles because your society is built on democracy. You don't have a king that you have to adhere to. You adhere to a flag, a set of rules, which is it's great. The idea is phenomenal. I think it's a godly principle. But the shadow side is, is that we have no framework or cultural relevance of submitting to another. I mean, we hate submitting to the government and the taxes, right? Like, we, we hate the idea of submitting to anything. Even my son right now, he sees the police and he's like, slow down, Dad. The police are around. I'm not saying I go too fast. Um, but he's always so wary. At such a young age, authority, like where does that come from? Well, our own self-led. We want to be in the driving seat. And so our posture must always, we must always examine ourselves. Am I trying to lead myself? Or am I being led? Do I think God is a taskmaster that's driving me? Or do I feel like he's a guide which I must submit myself to? I must give myself to being led. I love this in Romans. I'm going to switch over to Romans 8. Because again, Paul talks to the Romans about being led. In verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now, not to say that you become a son, women in the house. Remember, this is a patriarchal society. Sons have it better. But that, at the beginning, says for all. So men and women, you have the rights of sons. You have the rights of sons. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. I just want to pause on that use of language. Remember, Paul is speaking to a Roman society you know, full of this idea of adoption. Jewish people didn't have the word adoption, didn't understand it, but he used this word so cleverly. Because did you know that when, a, uh, when you come over to the idea of adoption, when you're adopted, when you are someone who has been removed from the family to another family, you lose, lost all the rights of the old family and you gain all the rights of the new family. You become the heir to the father's estate. That's mind-blowing for us. If you are the oldest person and you are adopted in the family, no matter what siblings or people were born before you, blood, blood blood-related, you have authority in the house. 
you are the next heir to the throne. In fact, it shows in culture that adopted children had more rights than the blood children, than the blood-related children. They had more rights. Um, if if the, the father could easily remove t- entitlements uh, from his own children, but he could never remove the rights of an adopted child. Isn't that cool? Also, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. All debts cancelled. The person is regarded a new person. That's exciting. That's the truth of us. That when we understand that we are spirit-led as sons and daughters, that we have become heirs to the throne, that your past is wiped away. Do we... Are we led in a posture of that way? Are you led like a son or daughter? I love watching within our church. We have a lot of generational uh, things going on in our church. Um, We have sons co-laboring with their fathers. And it's so exciting to see because the son is so passionate about the father's work. This was such a normality back then. The, The son would embrace the father's work. They would work alongside and they would take ownership. It would be an honor for them to walk alongside Do we lead, do we let the Holy Spirit lead us in such a way that he is seen as our father, that we are led as sons and daughters, not as people that are driven, not to get our own way, but to know that the father has a good thing for us? Are we posturing ourselves in surrender? And I think about that for the church, an experiential church, we beg God so much for him to move, right? I know I've been in so many meetings, myself as a worship leader. God, would you just come? Would you just come and break through? Come, God. Come, God. Come. And he's like, I'm already here. In fact, I love to be with you more than you love to be with me. I'm here right now. Would you just awaken that I am for you, that I'm wanting to lead you as a father in a loving arms wants to lead a son? Can we remove the begging of our works can we just come with the heart that there is a father that loves and adores you and that it is our joy to be led by him to surrender every part of us and I mean every part because that's difficult because I don't want to let God lead me in every way because if I'm honest a lot of the times I don't know if he has the best for me but it's an orphan heart issue that we have to wrestle with So when we are led, and we are led in a way that we want to be self-led, we're dealing with an orphan spirit. The Holy Spirit is relational. He doesn't want you to walk as a slave. As it said right here, you have not received slavery. But you don't fall back into the fear, for you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The most intimate language you could use, the name I feel like above all names, the Daddy father that Jesus came to reveal that name we had the Elohim the God the creator the Yahweh the El Shaddai and the Jehovah Jireh but Jesus brought the crescendo name above all names and it was the daddy father can we be led by the daddy father rather than a God that is uh, aloof, someone that's almost like a Greek mindset of this all-powerful God. He is all-powerful. He is worthy and he is revered. He is someone that we should respect. But when you love someone, it's so much easier to respect. It's so much easier to let them lead you. So position yourself by walking 
with him, as slow as it may feel. Be constant in walking with him. Make it a habit to walk with him. Posture yourself to be led by him as a son and daughter. And the third one here this morning is power. Power. And so back in uh, Romans 8, 11, we have this amazing passage which we even said today. If the spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He is the giver of life. That word in Greek means to make alive, to give new life. That is the DNA of the Holy Spirit. He is the bringer of new life in Galatians, in Romans, in John, in Corinthians. Every time the Spirit is mentioned in his passages, it's the giver of life. That is his power. So often we treat the Holy Spirit and the charismatic movement as a force, an energy force. Uh, I grew up in that, so I apologize, you know, if that's my experience. You know, we'd always almost like zap each other and things like that. And it was just so crazy. It was so not what the scripture was all about, that the Holy Spirit comes to give us new life. I like the creed even defines it as well. We believe in the Holy Spirit who is the Lord, who is the giver of life. The Holy Spirit, when he came onto the scene, was hovering in Genesis. And when God made Adam out of clay, he breathed the Ruah, the Spirit, into Adam. And life came forth. We fast forward to Ezekiel in 37, where he saw a valley of dry bones. He said to Ezekiel, prophesy. Prophesy the winds. And he prophesied, and the breath, the ruah, came into the bones. The army came, arose. And that's a prophecy for Pentecost. Because that was the fulfillment of Pentecost. Ezekiel 37 is all about the prophecy of what Pentecost was about to come about. And so we even come to, is it John 20, I believe? John 20, when Jesus comes back from the dead, freaking out the disciples, right? Walking through walls, checking out his new supernatural powers, kind of hiding himself with cool identities and then saying, ha-ha, here I am. And uh, freaking them out so much yet to show them who he was because you can imagine someone walking through the wall. You're about to like kill this person. He's like, it's me, holes, holes in hands. And he had to say it twice, peace be with you because they were so on edge. But this amazing moment that Jesus brings about. And he says to them, he breathes on them. He actually breathes his breath upon them and says, be filled with the Spirit. And what was that work? To go out and make the gospel known. To make the gospel known. See, all of us have a story of new life. Each and every one of you has a story of new life. Maybe it's progressional, But each and every one of you has an encounter of an amazing God that has transformed your world. And I believe that the world needs to see that. We need to be led by like sons and daughters, but we need to live as if we have this power of new life. If we have the power that conquered the grave living inside of each and every one of us, if we have that as our posture and our mindset, how will the world be changed? Not just Monday morning, God, help me this morning. Coffee, bang, let's get going. 
But what if we woke up Monday morning and said, I have new life inside of me. This new life is for a purpose of transformation. What would that do to our Monday mornings? See, it carries on, Paul does in Romans 8, to understand what this future glory, this glory that we believe the kingdom is here in verse 19. For the creation waits eagerly, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. They're not waiting for the latest revelation of what you think or all the other things that we think that people are waiting for. They're waiting for you to understand that you're a son and daughter of God. They're waiting for you to move into that idea. So many Christians talk about God, but they don't know him. I love it when I meet theologians or listen to them and I know that they know God. They're not just trying to open up a box and show the little compartments of the box and try and give me their revelation. No, they're bringing the person of Jesus, bringing him into the room and saying, this is Jesus. There's a massive difference, right? We can pick up in our spirit those people that just sound like you just don't know him. You know about him, but I just don't feel that you know him, know him. And that's the kind of Christians that I believe. For creation was subjected to frustration, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it to them, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation is groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Mothers in the room. Pain. Tara who's literally just had one a couple of weeks ago. Pain happens. But isn't it amazing that new life, this is not pain of suffering for no end. This is pain that you go through for new life. That the sufferings that we see in this world, that God is wanting to draw forth new life out of us. It's the kingdom life to us and the kingdom life through us. There is a kingdom life that is being poured in to us and kingdom life through us. And so I just want to invite the band up just as we finish up this time together because this song we're about to sing is an amazing declaration. But maybe you just want to evaluate yourself today. How's my, how am I being led this morning? Am I walking with the Spirit or am I rushing ahead of Him? Am I wanting to get to my destination before? Or am I walking hand in hand with the Spirit? So close that I can hear His quiet whispers. I often think about how my children sometimes like to grab onto my legs and you can walk around with them like this. I often sometimes think of that imagery of the Holy Spirit. That when we truly walk together, it's, it's like this easy. And, and not to say any condemnation of, of those that, you know, we walk away, we feel like we don't feel that way. It's an invitation that he's saying, I want to walk with you in such a way that we're hand in hand walking together. Isn't that a good God? He's not a taskmaster who's whipping you to get to the destination. But he's a loving father saying, come on. I want to put this kingdom inside of you. I want to show it to the world through each and every one of you. It's an invitation of no matter where you come from or where you feel like you're going, that God is saying right here, right now, be led by me. Because there is creation that is groaning for you to rise.
Waiting.